church. Father, now as we come to the sacred hour where the people of God here at Park Baptist Church are going to hear your word, God, I pray that you would make much of yourself, that I would decrease and that you would increase. God, we, we pray that you would help us understand what it means to answer the call of God. We also pray, God, that you would help us understand what your name means and that you will always be there with us. Father, we know that unless you preach through me, I am just a man speaking. So God, I pray humbly that you would uh, preach through your servant by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, not only for our good, but for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a preacher, this text is daunting. It's daunting because sometimes when you look at a certain passage of Scripture and you know that its importance in the life of uh, the church, in the life of, of Israel, the, the magnitude of the text, sometimes it's, it's overwhelming. It can be daunting. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, where the, 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 the place where we get God's name, we see the, the calling of, of Moses to be the deliverer of, of God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt. It's a, it's a tremendous passage. We're just going to dive right in. Shall we not? Uh, the first thing I want you to see is the call of God. The call of God. We see this and now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. We, we understand that, that Moses was raised in Egypt, even though he was as a Hebrew. And at, 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 at 40, he said, you know, I will no longer want to be identified as an, as an Egyptian, but I want to be identified as, as a Hebrew. So he, he tried to raise, uh, deliver his people uh, in his own power, uh, his people did not follow him. So Moses had to flee after killing the Egyptian and having become known to Pharaoh. So he, he fled and he landed in Jethro's household. Jethro welcomed him, gave him food, gave him a wife. And for the next 40 years, Moses is living in Midian, serving Jethro and his family. Now, the fact that we see right here at the beginning that, that Moses is a shepherd would have been profound because an Egyptian would not have been a shepherd. They thought that that job was beneath them. So right here, we see off the bat that God is doing something in Moses as a shepherd. It says he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, we don't know why he left that far away, but it seems like he's not in his, his immediate vicinity. He was, went, went to whether to find food or find uh, water for, for, the, for the flock. And something miraculous happened in verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a flame of fire out of the mist of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and it was not yet consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, and why the bush is not burned. Now, Moses was a shepherd, uh, so he would have seen bushes burning quite regularly. If you're in, in the desert and you see something uh, catch fire, it doesn't take long for it to burn. Dry wood is the best um, Best wood to burn. I found that out camping. Um, don't laugh. Um, so one of the things that God is doing with Moses is making him uh, go through this process as a shepherd is that he had the passion of the deliverer. He had a passion to be a deliverer of God's people, but he did not have the patience of a shepherd. So God brought him through this wilderness, this time of, of wandering, to create in him a patience to bear with God's people. Uh, those of you who aspire to pastoral ministry, uh, one of the problems with young pastors today is they have the zeal and the passion of a deliverer. They want to, 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 to have God uh, reignite uh, his, a passion in his church. But one thing they're often lacking is a patient perseverance of a shepherd. I pray that as you look at Moses' examples, you would see that in, in the life of a Christian, not only the life of a pastor, but you must have zeal for the things of God 
but you must have patience to get those things done. So we see the angel of the Lord appears. And I want you to see, you know, a lot of times we can talk about what the angel of the Lord is. This is the way the Lord manifested himself. This is the angel of the Lord, God, the Lord. They're all used interchangeably. So when the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses, it is God himself speaking. Look what it says. It says, Moses said, I will turn and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. One of the things that we see with this burning bush is that we see just a, a, a character trait of God. Uh, God is self-existent. Moses looked and he sees this bush not burning. There's, there's a fire and yet it's not consuming anything. Uh, we, we think of Acts chapter 17 when Paul was preaching the Areopagus. He said, For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, uh, to the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What you're seeing right there off the bat is that this, this fire that does not need anything to burn shows that God is self-existent. This is a theological term called the aseity of God. I mean, that God does not need anything. Now, this kind of God in the ancient world would have been profound because in that day, the, the gods had to be served and had to be worshipped to do their bidding. But the Lord does not need that because he is above it all. And this God who is above it all, this God who exists in himself, called out to, to Moses, Moses, Moses. Now, if you do a, a quick uh, survey of the entire Bible you will see that when God wants your attention, he yells your name twice. Uh, when, when, when a parent wants their child's attention, they, they give the full name, the, the government name. David Benson Keene, you know, the full government name. Well, as, when God wants your attention, he calls your name twice. We see that in Luke chapter 10, Martha, Martha. We see that when, when, Jesus, when Peter was about to betray the Lord Jesus and deny him, Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, Simon. When Saul was going to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus yelled out, Saul, Saul. And here we see Moses, Moses. Now we're in the second book of, of the Bible, Genesis, uh, Exodus. So those who have kind of, who are reading this narrative for the first time, they would have seen this happen again in, in Genesis. In Genesis chapter uh, 46, God says this to Jacob. 46 verse 1, it should be on the screen. So Israel took his journey with all that he had had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God says to Jacob, go to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. You will die in that land, but I will bring you out. Now we know that God has left Israel in Egypt for 400 years. There was just this waiting and this longing. When is God going to show up and answer his promise? That may be where some of you are this morning. 
You have these promises that the Lord has spoken to you, and you are saying, when, Lord? When will you do this? Well, we see the time is now for for Moses. The Lord said to Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is another thing that we see about the Lord's character, that God is holy and inviting. So right there, he says, do not come near. Now, if you hear someone speaking to you, what is your natural progression? The natural progression is you're going to walk towards that that person. But the Lord says, stop. Because no one can stand before a holy God. God is separate. God is transcendent from this world. He is unique. So God said to Moses, stop. And then he says this, take the sandals off your feet. For the place that you are standing is holy ground. He's in holy ground because he's standing in the presence of of God, manifested as the angel of of the Lord. But I think this is also a a sign of of being welcoming to Moses. So if you uh, uh, ever have uh, Bobby Schellenberger over to your house, um, the first thing that Bobby does when he comes into your house is he takes off his shoes. That's just, that's what he does. So if you go to Bobby's house, the first thing he does is he takes off his shoes. Why? Well, because he has that Japanese heritage. And because he has that Japanese heritage, it, it, that's what a sign of respect in someone's house is I'm going to remove my shoes before entering. So I don't leave uh, dirt and dust all over your house. So this is one way in the ancient world, you taking off your shoes was a sign of respect, right? So this is, but it's also a sign of welcoming. The, the Lord here in the bush is saying, listen, Moses, you are welcomed in my presence. And that would have been profound for a holy God to wel- welcome a sinner into his presence. Not too close but close enough. You know, how we approach the Lord in the West is often far too casual. You know, we may need a greater understanding of the holiness of God. So some of you this morning need to understand that God is holy and we should not approach him flippantly. He's an awesome, powerful God. And yet some of you need to understand that God is not just awesome and powerful, but he's also gracious and inviting and invites you into his world. Often we struggle in our walk with God is because we lean one side of his character and then to the other. God is is profound in how he interacts with us. And then here in the bush, after calling Moses to take off his sandals, he says, he gives him his name. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You saw the text that Bobby read earlier today. This is the, the passage in, uh, in the New Testament where Jesus referenced them. The people are debating about marriage, debating about the resurrection. And Jesus says in Mark 12, uh, 24, Jesus said, is this the reason that you are wrong? Because you, neither, uh, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor give in a marriage, but like angels in heaven. For as from the dead being raised, you have not read from the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So what we know right there is that there is a resurrection. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Why? Because they believe in the promise of the Messiah. So right there in the Old Testament, when the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, but they believed in the book of Moses, they believed in the law, the book of Moses meaning the whole law, 
I know my books of the Bible, right? But the whole law, Genesis uh, through Deuteronomy, the, the resurrection's there. And it's interesting, even in the passage of the resurrection, who does he reference? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was married to Sarah, who had a dead womb. Isaac was married to Rebekah, who had a dead womb. What happened? Jacob was married to Rachel, who had a dead womb. God loves to bring life out of death. That is his character again and again and again. So we see that from looking back from the Old Testament, this was important because it says that there is a resurrection, that one day we will stand before the Lord. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not all it says. It's interesting, when you, when you think about, uh, I was reading this, studying this passage, Jesus only referenced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not what the text says. I, I think that he made it, he proved his point between um, saying what he said in, in, in Mark 12. But there was something that happened in, in Exodus that I think was particularly from Moses. Look at what the text says. What did God say? I am the God of your father. I mean, it's hard to get in someone's head, but just understand Moses. Moses was not raised by his father. He was raised in the house of Egypt. And he was in the house of Egypt and said, listen, I do not want to be an Egyptian. I don't belong to this world. I belong to God and his people. So he wanted to go and be identified with his people. So he flees. He's, a, he's, a, he's an alien. He's a, he's a soldier in a, in a foreign land in, in the priest, uh, with the priest of Midian, traveling and shepherding uh, the flock. And when you're shepherding sheep, you know what you have a lot of time to do? Think. No one's talking to you, right? You can't really engage with a with a sheep. You, get, you just have time to think. And what is he thinking about? Well, he's thinking about his family, thinking about his sister, his mother, thinking about his people, thinking about how he failed as 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 a Hebrew. And and probably when he heard that word, "I am the God of your father," there probably was a a jolt of of guilt and sadness and shame that came upon his heart. God put me to be a deliverer. And I am wandering in a foreign land shepherding sheep. I have forsaken my father. And God in his kindness reminds him who you are. And what did Moses do? He hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. In the scriptures, this is uh, ancient Eastern culture, uh, honor, shame was a big deal. And when you hid your face from someone, it was a sign that you were ashamed. When you have done something wrong, uh, the last thing you want to do is look at the person in the eye in whom you wronged. You want to hide your face. You are afraid because you're ashamed. You're ashamed of what you've done. We see this with Adam in the garden who hid his face from God. Uh, We see this from Moses. We see it in Peter. We see it all throughout our own lives. When we sin, we are ashamed. So if you're here visiting and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as as your Savior, uh, let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever considered why we have shame? Why why does shame even, even exist? Why do we feel guilty? Why do we feel regret? You know, what we typically do when we feel that shame, and it's a common human experience, uh, we try to bury it. We try to run from it, or we try to mask it in other ways. Or you do what our culture does. You have things that are shameful and that you should be shamed about, our culture celebrates. 
Shame is a result of sin. We all have shame because we all sin. Moses stood there in the presence of God and he was reminded of his sin. He was ashamed and afraid. And I, I believe he's right. When you stand in the presence of a holy God alone, you should be ashamed and afraid. You know, we want to hide our shame, but there's only one place where we can truly cover our shame. That is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins on the cross, was dead and buried, and God raised him from the dead. And what does Jesus say? He says he offers you his, his refuge. He offers to, to cover you. He offers you himself. So 1 Samuel 6.20, we studied that over the summer. What do, we, what, do we, what do we see in that passage? Who is able to stand before the Lord? This holy God. Friends, no one. Sometimes questions are asked in the scripture where there's really no response. The answer is clearly no one can stand before the Lord alone. No one can stand before the Lord alone. But friends, we don't have to be alone. Jesus wants to stand with us. He wants to stand in front of us. He wants to stand beside us in the presence of our Father. The only place where you can cover your shame is in the covering of Christ. And he offers it for you. One of the ways that salvation is kind of pictured in the New Testament is that you are are wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ. So if you're here and you have not put your trust in Christ, or if you are a believer and you are living with shame, can I just tell you to go to Christ? Christ will, will, and he wants you. Those who are heavy in sin and heavy in shame, he says, come to me and I will give you rest from your burden. Why? Because he takes the burden for us. Moses came in the presence of God and was ashamed and afraid. Number two, the commission of God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the, the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now this would have been a beautiful thing for most people to hear. I want to use you to bring a deliverance for my people. The time is now. And as a, this is a complete sidebar. Um, one of the things as I was preparing this message and praying that the Lord just kind of struck in me, uh, there's been so much happening in recent days about our country endorsing abortion, kind of abortion on demand more and more. And it says here that the cries of Israel finally reached the Lord and the Lord answered their cry. And I was just thinking, I pray that we would never stop crying out to the Lord, that things like that would end, that we would cry out to the Lord again and again and again. And if it be 400 years until God ends it, let it be 400 years. The Lord is in control, but let us not tire in crying out to the Lord. 
Moses hears these words, and instead of excitingly following the Lord, says, yes, I'm ready. What does Moses say? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of, of Egypt? Who am I? I'm a shepherd who failed. I'm a failure. He's 80 years old, entering the autumn of, of his life, and I'm done. Why? Who am I? Why should I go? You know, I think when God calls us uh, to, to a task, we start asking ourselves, are we able to do that task? Are we able to complete the, the job, the role? And I think that's the wrong question. What did, you know, Moses think, are, are you sure, Lord? You know, I tried this once, it didn't work. You know, 40 years is a long time to think about your failures and your mistakes, those shaping moments in your life. You know, I think that our, our failures shape us a lot more than our successes, and they frighten us from serving the Lord. I'm sure there's people here who really want to serve the Lord, who really want to give themselves to the service of, of our God, but are, are resistant because of their past failures. You say, who am I? And what does the Lord say? Verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is one of the overarching themes of, of Exodus and really one of the overarching themes of the entire Bible. God wants to be with us. So in Genesis chapter 17, when God says that I will make you a great nation to, to Abram, makes him Abram to Abraham, and he, and he promises, one of the promises is that I will be their God, and they will be my people. So you see from Genesis, and what's the great promise of Revelation 21? It says that I will be their God, and they will be my people. God is all about making a people for himself who are zealous for good works. It is not about how gifted we are, but how good God is. It is not how smart we are, but how strong God is. Not how, you know, it's, it's God wants to work in and through us for his good purposes. So we ask the question, who am I? When God wants you to say, who is he? He is good. He is strong. He is powerful. He wants to be our God, and we want to be his people. And even in, in Exodus 2.24, uh, it says that, and God heard their groaning, the groaning of Israel, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And as we looked at last week, God remembered after their cries, but he had already been planning through the birth of Moses to bring about deliverance. Now, what's interesting, in the first two chapters of Exodus, the name of the covenant Lord has not appeared yet in, in the Bible, in these two passages. Right? We know it's, it's there, in the, the Lord, the, the, the name that God's given to uh, identify himself and his, his relationship to his people, but he hasn't given it yet. So the third thing we see, the name of God. The name of God. Uh, Moses uh, acquiesced to the, to the Lord, and he says, that, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? 
Now, that, that's a key question because in, in that day, the different cultures and the different gods, how you identified yourself was the, the most important thing. And they were uh, in that polytheistic uh, nation, especially growing up in Egypt, they would have had many different gods. Which god are you? Which god should I send, tell them is, is, is coming? Moses doesn't understand. So then God in his kindness gives him his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, this is a very difficult translation in, in the Hebrew because you could translate it many different ways. It could be, I am who I am. It could be, I was who I was. I will be who I will be. I am who I will be. I was who I will be. I will be who I was. Like they, they have all the same meaning. But I think I am who I am is, is a good translation here. right? I think we should, we should, we should stick with it. But if the, 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 the different ways you can pronounce it, I will be who I will be, what did God say to Moses the first time? Who am I to go? What did God said? I will be. He gave Moses the same exact answer. I will be. As one writer has said, Moses, need, uh, you need more of my presence. You need my presence more than you need a name. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, in his famous book, The God Who Was There, uh, says that when God says, I am who I am, means I am the God who sees and hears, who knows and remembers, who cares and loves. I am the God who has a plan. I am the God who was, the God who is, and the one who is to come. If you read through Revelation, that's how God is described. Now, in the Old Testament, the way God has always kind of identified himself was with the, the title Yahweh. So Yahweh or Jehovah was really the way Israel kind of wrote out the name, the translation. So in the Hebrew, Hebrew is a very difficult language. So Hebrew has had, had three letters that defined um, kind of the noun word for God. Back in the, in the ancient days, there weren't any vowels. There was just consonants. So we see Y-H-W-H was the, was the name for, for God without any, any vowels. So God's proper name um, was, was, was so revered by the Israelites that they didn't want to say it. So they, they called it the way Hebrew is for Lord. So Adonai. So the Hebrews wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say Adonai, which the, in, in the Greek, the word uh, for, for Lord is kurios. Okay, so, so Lord. So they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even say Yahweh or Jehovah. But when you read your Bible, in the Old Testament especially, and you see the word LORD in all caps, that's the same name, right? That's the same name. So we, we, we think that that word was used in, in Genesis. Several uh, of the, the, the patriarchs called out to the Lord. But here in the first two chapters of, of Exodus, the people of God are not calling out to the Lord. And many think that they, just, they forgot the Lord's name. They forgot the Lord's promises. Remember, it's been 400 years where they are in bondage to Egypt. And when you're living in another culture, oftentimes what the culture does, it overtakes the way you think, right? Like many of us living in America, we think more like American Christians rather than Christian Christians, right? Because we can't divorce ourselves from the culture. This is one of the, the, the encouragements for all of you to go overseas, Go on mission trips, travel, because what happens when you go overseas and you meet other Christians, you realize that maybe you are having an American Christianity rather than a global one. Just a, just a encouragement there. So what we see here in, in, in Exodus, 
I could probably do a whole entire sermon on this. I'm, trying, I'm going to try to squeeze this in really quickly. Um, so what we see here is I am and Yahweh come from the same uh, root Hebrew word. So what, what God is trying to say here is that I am who I am is who I always was. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He doesn't change his name. It comes from, the, it comes from that same word, which is to be. God is I am who I am. Look what the passage says. Verse 14, God said, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God says it to Moses, then he says it to the people of Israel. Then verse 15, God also said to Moses, in summary, say this to the the people of Israel. The Lord, all caps, that covenant name, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He's saying the same name. I am who I am. I have always been that God. Do not forget me. He uses those interchangeably. You know, God's people had forgotten his name. Calvin said this, It will not be far from the truth if we suppose that the faith, both of Moses and the Israelites, had grown somewhat faint and rusty, like a church that still has the embers of the truth, but have forgotten their first love. So very quickly, let me just say this. What are, what's the significance of God's name in this passage? Well, number one, I think it shows that God himself exists and is self-existing. We all have to answer to this God. We also see that God does not change. He was the God of, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of you, Moses. I, God doesn't change. That's a wonderful um, encouragement to us. He also has all the power and the energy that he needs. His power and his energy is inexhaustible. Why? Because he doesn't need anyone to give him energy. Because he exists in himself. God is who he is, not who we want him to be. You know, many of the the challenges of the American culture is that we kind of create gods in our own image. We kind of take God and we kind of twist him and pervert him. And God says, I am who I am. You can't change me. I don't change. And what that should do to us, it should should create a profound humility. The thing that I'll kind of close with here is how do we know the Lord? Well, we know the Lord because Jesus is this I am. You know, in 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 the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These seven I am statements, kind of this, this perfection of, the, of, of who God is. He is the I am. Well, one that is, is usually not referenced, kind of included in those seven, is John 8, 48 through 59. It says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and as of the prophets, did you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets died? How, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. Of him you, you say, he is our God, but you have not known him, I know him. 
If I were to say to you that I, that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, was glad. Guys, wow. Beautiful. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, and Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Those of people who say that Jesus never called himself God are, are wrong, because that's what Jesus was doing right here. He's saying, I am. The one that was in the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. I am he. I have seen Abraham, and Abraham has seen my glory. This is a profound, beautiful thing the Lord has given us. Lastly, the promise of God. The promise of God. We see that the promises are fulfilled in the New Testament, but just drive this home. Hear the word of God and what God promises to do. Hear the I wills, beginning in verse 16. Go and gather the the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of the fathers, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Egyptians to a land, yada, yada, yada. Don't want to mess those up again. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people Favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Brothers and sisters, the same God who said, I am, who promised to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, is the same God, the I am, the Lord Jesus Christ, who promised to deliver you out of slavery and sin and death. God does not change. He was, he is, and is to come. The unchanging I am has invited us to know him through Jesus Christ. The only way that you can know him is through his son. The name of God is synonymous with the promise of God. To know God's name is to know he keeps his promise. Beloved, take your shame, take your fear to the name of God, to the I am, who will always be with you. Take the cover of the great I am, who is and will always be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you now asking graciously and humbly that you would help us know your name. Help us know your name, that you are the one who never changes and the one who always keeps his word. We ask this in Jesus' name.